everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. My name is Giacomo. And I'm Danny. And this is our 43rd episode. Right at the start of the new year, we're going to do things differently, right, Danny? 2019, woohoo! I mean, I hope so. I hope everything's different always, forever. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But I mean, I don't know, looking back on last year, I'm, I'm really happy with the way that things went in general. You know, we got a lot of cool stuff done. Uh, it was definitely a pleasure getting to watch you compete and stuff for a change. Usually we're competing together. But in general, yeah, I've just been enjoying the off season and looking forward to getting closer and closer towards competing myself. But in the meanwhile, we kind of have like a little bit of an off-season together, right? And I remember, what was it, like uh, about a month ago or something like that, Robert uh, hit us up and he was like, hey, you know that traveling thing that we're doing? You want to keep doing it? I'm like, hell yeah. You know, the, the mainstream fitness world, I feel like, is something that vegan bodybuilding and vegan athletes in general haven't truly penetrated as far as the, the, the strength-based world goes. You know, like the endurance side of things. We've seen a lot out there, but um, I don't know. Last year, I feel like was big for our community. Last year was an incredibly successful year uh, for me personally and for vegan proteins as a unit. I know the podcast took a hit because as soon as I was uh, too exhausted to be able to organize it, it stopped happening. Um, But there were other things that did pick up instead our little baby YouTube channel was actually pretty consistent all year. So if you haven't checked that out and you were bummed that we were uh, a little a little light in the podcast department, be sure to check out the Vegan Proteins YouTube channel. Uh, there were quite a few videos that were more concise than the podcast, you know, closer to like 10 to 20 minutes instead of the 40-minute episodes that we do here. But it was something, and it was a, a real decent peek into the way things sort of operate around here and we're definitely hoping to keep that going in the new year and podcasts we're going to record them a little bit differently in an effort to get them out more regularly so rather than record one every few weeks or as it turned out closer to every month or two uh we're gonna try and record a whole shebang of them at a clip so that we have one sort of in the queue at all times so Uh, That said, you know, as usual, if there's anything you guys want to hear about, any topics you want covered, never hesitate to reach out to us. We do almost every single topic that someone requests. So just figured I would put that out there. Uh, But yeah, going into 2019, today is the 4th of January. Hopefully this will be up by next week. But we are traveling to the LA Fit Expo at the end of the month. That's on the 26th and 27th of January. So if you guys are in the LA area, please come out. Apparently, it's the biggest Fit Expo in the country. So I hear we actually haven't been to this one personally yet, but our friends have said it's their favorite expo to go to and... uh good crowd good draw lots of interest in veganism yeah it's it's comparable in size i guess to the arnold or the olympia like enormous apparently but with more of a vegan focus because hello it's la yeah yeah and more you know we're getting out to the west coast more and more often these days which is nice for a change because i feel like we've you know we've been on the east coast pretty often and 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 the rest of the country but yeah, anyway, Callie will we'll be there in a couple weeks, a couple short weeks. Yeah, we don't have the full calendar laid out just yet of where we'll be all year, but suffice it to say, we will be traveling 
quite a bit. Uh, so in the spirit of January, we are going to be talking a bit about vegan activism in general. So this is not something that we tend to talk about much because what we do by talking about health and fitness is our version of vegan activism. But people frequently ask us, like, how do you do this? How do you get this message across in a way that people are willing to listen to? And we just kind of wanted to dive into all the forms of vegan activism. I've been vegan for over 16 years. You've been vegan for 14. So yeah, combined, I guess we have three decades of veganism under our belt, which is kind of crazy, actually. But you know, we have a lot of experience in this and we're we would love to talk about it. Also, January is a huge time of year for people that are deciding to give veganism a try. I mean, there's the whole Veganuary situation where people commit to a month of a plant-based diet. So we figured now is as good a time as any to chat about that a little more in depth. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I know not all of our listeners are vegan. Some of those, some of our listeners are veg curious or just tuning in for our fitness or nutrition advice or whatever. Uh, how, that being said, if, if you're interested in more of a plant-based diet and finding out the hows and whys of what we do as far as living a compassionate lifestyle, that's pretty much what we're going to dive into today. Today's episode of Muscles by Brussels Radio is proudly sponsored by Health IQ, a life insurance company that specifically rewards vegan lifters for their health conscious choices with lower rates. I found the application process to be pretty cool. Should you have a nutrition journal, like my fitness pal, for example, you could submit your data to them and they will reward your health-based choices, like eating plant-based, with some of the lowest quotes that you can possibly find out there because they're catered to you. Vegans have lower all-cause mortality rate, a lower risk of heart disease, and a lower risk of cancer. So why not take advantage of the savings we receive for living a more health-minded life? Head over to healthiq.com forward slash vegan proteins to both support our show and to see just how low of a rate you can qualify for for being the healthy person that you are. So I think I wanted to start diving into this by saying, look, I, I think when it comes to using the word activist, it can be intimidating to some. Like, do you have to be this outspoken person who's, you know, basically out there telling people, like screaming from the top of a mountain, being like, hey, you need to go vegan. Like, is that is that what activism is, you know? And then the other thing, as far as I'm concerned, just by being vegan, you have the potential to influence others without changing anything. That being said, because being vegan is a lifestyle that is based on ethics, it's going to strike a chord with people. And even if you're someone that isn't necessarily interested in promoting the message loudly and proudly, you might be someone who's more reserved and just looking to do your own thing. I think that this, uh, this episode can still be helpful for you in the sense that when people approach you and they ask you why you, why you do what you do, you know, it can be, it can be helpful to know how to respond in a way that, that keeps them in, in a way that even if the conversation starts and stops right there, that you still left them off with something that could help them along their way. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's important to think about the stereotypical vegan activist, which 
I have been in the past and Giacomo has been in the past. And I think a lot of new vegans sort of fall into that stereotypical vegan activist um, camp. And what I mean by this is like very argumentative, very combative, very passionate um, in proving why this is the superior way to live. Um, whether it's coming from a place of passion over animal rights or passion about health or maybe just a superiority complex in general, like that's how it can come across very, very easily. And I get it. Like I understand why it's so easy to fall into that trap. I think that when I very first went vegan, it was like my eyes were open for the first time. And I actually just recorded a YouTube video about my whole vegan story, how I became vegan. That should be up uh, probably, yeah, a couple days after this comes out, actually. So you can check that out if you want to hear about it more in detail. But I had been vegetarian before that, and I didn't even... It didn't even cross my mind that there could possibly be something about the dairy and egg industry that I didn't want any part of. So when I found that out, it was kind of like, holy shit, does anybody else know this? Do other people know this? Because surely if other people know this, they'll have to agree with me that this is the best way to live. So I almost made it sort of my mission to educate people about the horrors that went on behind the closed doors of the dairy and egg industry. And I got really good at explaining (laughs) what happens behind those doors. But I remember, I actually remember like crying myself to sleep one night because I had told my best friend all of this stuff. And he wasn't even, he wasn't even vegetarian. But I I really dove in and and told him and showed him videos. And I thought, well, certainly, you know, this is my best friend and I love him. And he's a wonderful human. Now that he knows, surely he'll join me on this other side. And uh, he didn't. And that was shocking to me. And for the first time, it made me realize that people can know about these things and one, they can not care, or they certainly cannot care enough or not have the tools and resources or the readiness to take the steps towards a plant-based lifestyle. But that knowledge, like understanding that concept absolutely flipped my whole reality sort of on its head. And, you know, I was a naive 17 year old, but, uh, I realized very shortly after that, (laughs) that preaching, to people about the horrors of the dairy and egg industry was not going to be my way of getting through to people. And you know what? For some people, it is their way. Yes. Because that's how it got to me. That is how, you know, I'm not, we we are not huge fans of like PETA, Mm -hmm. but it's a, it's a freaking like PETA pamphlet-y type of thing that made me go vegan. So it has its place. It does its job, but not for everybody. For sure. So like far be it from us to discourage all forms of activism, you know? And I guess the other thing I would say is while it can hurt to ha- to be so passionate about your message, uh, whether you're approached and asked to speak about it or whether you just approach someone else to speak about it and it falls on deaf ears, you know, just remember that whenever you give something 
of yourself to someone else, when you give a new idea that's something that you've already come to terms with, think about how long it took for you to fully embrace veganism, you know, and remember where you started. You know, more often than not, someone's either going to be silent or reactive, right? And when they're reactive, it's usually not going to be the response that you are looking for. Now, maybe they, they will never want to be getting, getting to that point where they have the readiness to go vegan, but they don't know how. So like no amount of tools make a difference. But also, I think it's important to remember that you do have the potential to make an impact on somebody, you know, whether they're ready to make the changes or not. Don't discount the influence you can have on one person just by speaking from your heart and being open-minded as opposed to telling someone like, hey, don't you get it? Don't you see what's happening? You know? Yeah. And, you know, I can't stress it enough that even though we're going to talk about the way that we approach our vegan activism, I really, truly believe that there is a place for all kinds of vegan activism and that we do need people on all fronts. We need the people with the signs standing outside of SeaWorld. We need the uh, people handing out pamphlets on college campuses. We need chefs making delicious vegan food for people. We need a ton of different... We need... We need activists on all fronts. So this is just our way. And if you're listening to this podcast, then it stands to reason that you probably are at least interested in health and fitness. You're either vegan or vegan curious. So this is probably going to uh, speak to your interests as well. But just know that we are not, um, we're not knocking on any other kinds of veganism. I think they all have their pros and cons. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, one of the most helpful ways to dip your toes in the water as far as learning how to be uh, a better activist or I guess a better vegan is to connect with other vegans. You know, I think this is one thing that our that our community basically just gets and does really, really freaking well, you know. Regardless of all, all of our differences of opinion, as far as what is, you know, everyone has their own personal spin on what is the most effective approach. We are all connected from the same place. You know, our bonds is the fact that we live compassionately and we may have our differences and we may argue and we may not get along. But at the end of the day, I would say that the overwhelming majority of the vegan community, not a cult, a community, the overwhelming majority of the vegan community is supportive of one another in the sense that like, hey, we're all doing this for the exact same reason. See, I kind of disagree with you, actually. Okay. I mean, I definitely agree that you should find your community for sure, but I think that as a whole, the vegan community could certainly do a lot better to realize that we're all on the same side, even if we do things differently, as I actually see quite the opposite. But I feel like that might be a topic for a different day. Yeah, for sure. And I think we all look through things with a different set of lenses. And I definitely respect your perspective on this. So I, okay, let's get into it. How, sure. how, what is our, our sort of motto, if you will, of vegan activism? For us, it's as simple as leading by example. You know, uh, I think, I, I, speaking for myself, I would say I definitely was that preachy vegan. I was just very excited in the beginning, but I quickly realized that that was the, the wrong approach and it wasn't going to help anyone. I, you know, I, I remember I was working for Wells Fargo in a call center um, way back in the day. I think it was like 10 years ago or something like that. And I remember someone coming over to my desk and, um, 
I think it was my friend Ashley, and she was talking about veganism to me, and it was back and forth. I was like, hey, yeah, you vegan, you vegan, and it was it was just so natural. It just made sense to, to, to sing the praises about being vegan, but then I also remember the both of us talking to each other about how we were trying to tell other people like, hey, you need, you should make these changes. You should think about this. You should be thinking about that. And we both had the same thing in common as far as the way people responded to us. And it was, uh, we were met with resistance and it was right then and there. I think that was one of the moments in my life that I realized if I'm really going to make an impact on others, I kind of need to shut my mouth and sit back and listen and kind of, you know, feel out people and, and where they're coming from and, and maybe let them approach me and, uh, and like I said, you know, I think this is where leading by example comes into play. Like maybe just being a little less preachy and excited about things and just kind of trying to feel out where people are at. And more, more than anything, why, why, why are they asking you about your lifestyle? Like really, it doesn't matter whether they come at you negatively. It doesn't matter whether they come at you positively. The fact of the matter is that they're interested in what you, in what you do and why. And I think it's important to ask those questions rather than think about yourself um, ask yourself, put yourself in that other person's shoes and ask yourself, you know, wh- what has sparked their curiosity? Yeah. So I guess I agree. Like I never, at this point in my life, I never, ever, ever, ever come at somebody telling them that I think they should stop eating X, Y, or Z food. Like I never make that suggestion anymore because as soon as you're like, Hey, have you considered stopping eating dairy or something like that? Uh, you, have kind of opened yourself up almost as like a snake oil salesman or as like a, a sort of culty type of person. Like, Hey, can I tell you about our Lord and savior veganism? Um, and people do, you know, their, their war hairs go up really quickly and they're not super psyched to feel like they're being sold this dietary dogma. So what I think Giacomo means in lead by example is to just kind of quietly do your thing and do it as well as you possibly can. So for us, what is our thing? Our thing is weightlifting, bodybuilding competitions, coaching, things like that, and creating this content even. Like we are vegans. The show is called Muscles by Brussels Radio, for God's sakes. And But we don't sit here and just like just talk about veganism. Like we are not just vegans. We are weightlifters. We are bodybuilders. We are powerlifters. We are uh, coaches in our community. We're, we're people in our, in our local community who happen to be vegan. And I think that that key difference is really, really important. You know, when you go somewhere and you're introduced as the vegan, that never goes well. That almost never ends well. And it still happens to us from time to time. But more often it's like, oh, this is, this is Danny and Giacomo, like they're fitness coaches and bodybuilding coaches. Oh yeah. And they're vegan too. And adding that on at the end really only happens because we quietly keep our heads down and do what we do. And yes, there's like a vegan edge to pretty much everything that we do. You know, we're in the gym lifting and we have our vegan t-shirts on, but we're not going up to people like, hey, yeah, you see my vegan t-shirt? It's because I'm vegan, bro. Like, we're not, not, doing, not, <laughs> we're not doing stuff like that at all. But, you know, the little tiny hint, the essence of veganism gets people's curiosity peaked to the point where they're 
willing or able or feel comfortable enough to ask us something. And that's really step one, like be approachable enough and don't jump down people's throats so that if someone does have a question, they feel comfortable asking you about it. Like you haven't tried to sell them in the past. You ever accidentally strike up a conversation with somebody and halfway through you realize they're trying to sell you life insurance? Danny. <laughs> and then your husband gets a, a random text message from said person. Not not that I'm disinterested in life insurance, but... <laughs> but you, you don't want to be that way with your veganism. If right. someone asks you a question, like, you know, answer their question and then kind of let it go. Let it sit. Let it marinate. Don't follow up, text them the next day and be like, hey, so that conversation about veganism, you think about it? You want to come to vegan club with me? Like, you don't want to do that. That's... It's usually not a great way. Like when you are doing what you do and doing it well and quietly, then people come to you with questions. And I find that, you know, just the science of habit change in general, you can't make someone change their habits. You can't make someone do something differently. You know, when I was a kid, I desperately wanted my mother to stop smoking, like really badly. She smoked cigarettes, and I remember every time she'd turn around, I'd take the cigarettes, and I'd break them in half, and I'd throw them in the toilet, and she'd get so mad at me. And I'd be like, Mom, why don't you, like, love me enough to quit smoking? That didn't work. Like, that level of guilt didn't work. Nothing worked until she decided she was ready to quit smoking. There was nothing I, even her child, who she loved to death, could have done to get her to change. So... You know, letting people come to you when they are ready to start thinking about change, when they're in that pre-contemplative stages of change, you know, let them come to you and they will start to make the changes themselves. And then you're just, you know, supportive and there to answer questions or offer support. As many of you guys know, this last year has been really tough for me losing several of my family members. And it got me thinking that it's a good idea to have all of your ducks in a row in case anything is to happen to you. And, you know, for the first time in my adult life, I started thinking about like very grown up things like life insurance and and things like that. And I started doing some research and I actually came across this company called Health IQ. And they're a life insurance agency that actually offers savings to very healthy people like vegans and people who lift regularly. And I thought that that was really cool. So I started doing some more digging and learned some interesting things. So some things I didn't know were that vegans have 15% lower risk of all-cause mortality Vegans have 34% lower risk of female-specific cancers, and people who strength train at least twice a week have 41% reduction in early death from heart disease compared to people who don't lift. Um, But when you think about it, oftentimes we end up paying the same prices for insurance as people who are a lot less healthy And this life insurance agency, Health IQ, actually can save you quite a bit of money if you go and take their Health IQ quiz and, you know, prove to them that you're vegan and you lift and you're healthy and they take you 
all the way from the beginning of like taking that quiz all the way through starting an application and underwriting the policy and all of that stuff that, you know, can be quite overwhelming. They kind of hold your hand all the way through that. And I personally just think that that's really cool. And it's something I didn't know about. So I thought maybe I could pass this information on to you guys. And, you know, perhaps it could help some of you out if you were thinking about doing this, but you weren't really sure uh, if you're going to go that route. This is definitely a cool route to go. So if you want to see if you qualify, you can go get a free quote at healthiq.com slash vegan proteins, or you can mention vegan proteins when you call and talk to a health IQ agent. But definitely if it's something you've been thinking about, you have nothing to lose by checking it out. So I highly recommend going and taking a look because it could save you quite a bit of money just because you are living a healthier lifestyle. Yeah, and I guess there's like there's two type of two types of conversations that can go down in the real world, right? And like conversation number one is you get introduced to the room somehow casually the word vegan comes up, right? The word is out there and honestly, let's get real here. That it's, word is like a little bomb. Seriously, like dun 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 dun, the V word just got dropped. Like people are just waiting. They're waiting to trigger you or just bring up a conversation about it. And the truth of the matter is, it's for, it's 2018, and regardless of how popular or unpopular an idea is, everything is connected. Like the ev- veganism is so much is so much more out there than it used to be. Just like every other idea out there, and obviously, I'd like to think that that veganism itself has grown. I mean, the proof is in the pudding statistically. Like so many more people are going vegan these days because, well, you know, different topic for a different day. Obviously, it makes sense to us. Point is that once that word is dropped, the conversation can start and stop there. The seed has already been planted in that person's mind. Change the topic. Just talk about what you do, and and you don't have to talk about the whys and the reasons why. Like that'll come out, I think, organically in the conversation. You can just have a conversation about it. You know, you can move the conversation away from veganism and let uh, until they get to a point where they genuinely seem open and curious about it. So I think there's two ways a conversation goes. Someone can ask you questions because they are genuinely curious um, and they they genuinely, you know, either have a question about how you live or questions about themselves and maybe what they should do, should they want to take those steps. And those are pretty easy questions to answer, right? You know, if someone is genuinely curious, you genuinely give them an answer. Then there's the other people, that hear the word vegan and immediately hate you. No matter what you do, they already have something against you. So their questions are usually jabs more than anything else. They're trying to jab at you. And I feel like this is this is the most important time, actually, as a vegan activist, because what we have found <laughs> in our own experience is the people that jab at you the hardest or the meanest or however you want to think about it, like, they're the ones who usually do end up coming around, like, doing full 180s and coming around. So although the inclination at first when someone jabs at you or or says, you know, makes a joke about soy and man boobs or something, like, they're obviously just trying to piss you off and get under your skin... The inclination is kind of to just tell them to screw, right? Sure. Um, 
But when you do that, you end the conversation right there. There is no more conversation. And this further solidifies in this person's mind that vegans are douchebags with no sense of humor, that can't take a joke, um, and they're not going to think about it again. But if someone makes a joke about soy and man boobs and you calmly and eloquently explain to them that there actually is no data to support that that's a real thing and, you know, have you ever thought about how you know, dairy is actually the estrogenic secretion of another mammal, but we don't talk about how dairy gives us man boobs, even though it's straight estrogen that you're eating, not a plant-like estrogen, etc. So, you know, if you answer them like that and you're not angry or snooty about it back, but can be really even keeled, you know, one, their dig at you just bombed. So there's nowhere to go from there unless they want to be a real jerk, which they might. Um, And whether they like it or not, you've planted a little bit of a seed in their mind to think about later when they're on their own, you know? And to me, those digs, or any question really in general, but especially those digs, really come down to planting seeds. You're not going to change someone's mind right there on the spot, almost Ever. Like if that actually happens to you, that's like a once in a lifetime thing. But you can plant a seed that can eventually change someone's mind over time. And those are your opportunities and you need to take hold of them. Yeah, for sure. I guess I see, I have seen those types of conversations where that person becomes reactive for, for whatever personal reasons, whether they're just trying to piss you off or perhaps you actually have struck a chord with them and now they're, they're being reactive because they want to keep doing what they do and they don't really, really want to think about why they're reacting the way that they are. What I've seen in the community is, you know, rather than using this as an opportunity, like recognizing like, hey, this is a really one of our most powerful uh, moments to seize a hold of, you know, we wind up making fun of them back because it's like, oh, pick on me, I'll pick on you. And, you know, I get it. Like, (laughs) or like troll the troll, so to speak, beat them at their own game. But obviously, you know, I don't want to say we have an agenda. However, we do, we do want others to, we want to share our lives with others and we want them to understand why we do what we do. Whether we want to help them make a change or not, I think, I think it helps us to, to just, live more compassionately by, by recognizing, you know, that where people are coming from, you know, and, uh, and the opportunity that we have to, to help others. Yeah. I, I do think that it's really important to approach every question that you get with compassion because as vegans, you know, just by definition, we have a very abolitionist approach to using animals for food, for clothing, for anything really. And, uh, I don't think that that's wrong, obviously. I very staunchly believe that, but I also need to understand that other people don't feel that way. So any step that somebody else makes towards minimizing or lessening the amount of animal suffering that their life causes is a win. Like, yes, I wish everybody went vegan tonight. I wish that would happen. That would be amazing, but it's not going to happen. So if somebody gives up red meat tomorrow... 
that's a win. If somebody decides they're going to stop drinking dairy, even if it's because they think it's giving them acne, even if it's not for like ethical vegan reasons, that's still a win. And it's an in to a more compassionate lifestyle. And lots of people get into veganism, not for ethical reasons, Giacomo included, actually, like he's there now, but that was not your in being Mm -hmm. an ethical vegan. So, you know, there are lots of people out there who love animals and they want to do the right thing for animals and they're just stuck for whatever reason they can't make the changes or they're not ready to make any changes to lessen the amount of animals that they're using in their life. But by being compassionate yourself and not being judgy and not being preachy, even when it hurts and sometimes it hurts, uh, is going to only be helpful for the movement as a whole and for lessening animal suffering as a whole. Another point that I think is really, really key, especially to those those questions people have, um, both when they're coming from a good, innocent place, like a, a truly curious place, or if someone's digging at you, it is really important, in my opinion, to be educated on these questions because people will try to stump you. That's what they do <laughs> when when they see something that they don't fully understand they they want to poke holes in it. They want to poke holes in veganism. And are there holes in veganism? Yeah, I'm sure there are. Just because this is what we've decided to do to create the least amount of suffering, suffering possible doesn't mean that it's perfect. It's far from perfect. Giacomo and I are both 100% vegan. That does not mean we're perfect. Um, you know, our car has tires that probably have animal products in them. Things like that and other people will try to find those flaws in you or find those flaws in the philosophy and highlight them to say that the whole thing is bullshit. So how do you counter that? I think you need to research some answers and like really file them away for when these questions get asked. And the website that I recommend that answers pretty much any question or argument that anyone has ever had is animal-rights.com. And this site was recommended to me by James Aspie uh, in one of his talks where he talks exactly about this, how to have conversations with people about veganism in general. And every question or comeback, if you will, that you could think of for veganism is here and a good answer for it is listed there as well. And, you know, the more you know, the better off you are. And the longer you're vegan and the longer you have these conversations, the more these answers just become, you know, what you know to be true. And you just know how to answer these questions every time they come up. And every time they come up, some some really kind and wonderful human uh, will think it's the first time you've ever heard this question. <laughs> and I think that's probably the hardest thing for me is just not being like, uh. I've been vegan for almost 17 years, you idiot. Do you really think you're the first person who came up with uh, where do you get your protein? Like, ha ha ha. Yeah, I've never heard that. I, I don't think a day has gone by in the last 16 years that I haven't heard that question. But you have to treat it like it's the first time you've heard the question every single time if you want to be the most helpful <laughs> vegan activist that you can be, even if you want to rip your hair out. 
patience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel like uh, Earthling Ed does a really good job having conversations with people. He's, I think yeah. he's also the type that is literally out there on the front lines, you know, triggering people, so to speak, right? Like literally uh, going, you know, in front of a, a, a truck, uh, a, a truck with livestock in it and, and talking to the driver and be like, do, do you really understand yeah, 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 yeah. what you're I've, doing? I've seen some of those videos and although that is not something that I could ever do, that's not something I could ever do, that's not something I would ever want to do, um, I think it's like pretty ballsy and badass that there are people out there doing it. And that goes back to the beginning where it's like, yeah, there's a place for everybody here. There's a place for everybody here. And even if you think you're not doing anything to help promote veganism, you probably are. And there's really subtle ways to do it. But I guess my point with bringing up Earthling Ed was, although he's the type that is a little more in your face with his activism, because he is that way. He deals with really charged conversations that that he forces. He's forcing on people, and obviously they're they're engaging, so they're a part of the conversation. It's not him talking to them. And there's a lot of lessons to be learned and a lot of value in those conversations and watching how he responds to them. So I think that's a, a good resource as well to look into. And then you know, at the end of the day, I think your your easiest line of defense when people try to to pigeonhole you, so to speak, is. Uh, that basically veganism is not black and white. Veganism is is literally, yes, we in theory we want to do no harm, but in reality we don't live under a rock, we don't live in a cave, and the answer is we try to do as little harm as possible. And I think when you word it like that, it's a little more even evenly tempered, and you can't really refute it. Like, yeah, no, we're not trying to sit here and and be uh, consider ourselves perfect or like. Feel like we have all the answers, but we are trying to do less harm, you know, and leave the earth better off than when we found it. And I think that it is really important that everybody does find their place in activism. And, and you don't have to, you don't even have to pigeonhole yourself into one form of activism. Yes, we are, uh, you know, we're bodybuilders and powerlifters who happen to be vegan. We're coaches who happen to be vegan, but it doesn't end there. Your activism extends to um, holiday Christmas parties we just went to where, you know, we're the only vegans there, but we're bringing a plate of delicious vegan food. We don't come in and go, oh, we brought the vegan food. Here's the make way for the vegan food. You just make something freaking delicious. And for us, that usually means something that is not super healthy. So when we bring food to potlucks, we're not bringing the stuff we eat at home. We're bringing the richest, creamiest, most delicious vegan foods that we possibly can. We're bringing them to the potluck, putting it on the table quietly and walking away. And then just people help themselves to it. Because a lot of times if you walk in and say, oh, this is the vegan dish, no one will touch it because they're afraid of the vegan food. But if you don't say anything, people will have it and be like, oh my God, this is so good. What is this? Who brought this? Can I get the recipe? And when they find out that it's vegan, You've kind of weaseled your way into their brain and now they're beginning to understand, oh, vegan food doesn't mean I'm eating a bowl of grass and sticks. Like it can be tasty. I don't know how to do this yet, but at least I understand it can be tasty. So this again, just goes back to the leading by example. You want to make your vegan lifestyle seem inviting, fun, 
And also, this is super important, easy. You want to make it seem easy. And this is where I feel like a lot of vegans, especially in the health and fitness area, really have some room for improvement is that you meet these vegans who are all about the health and fitness lifestyle, which is great, but they're preaching no oil, no sugar, no processed foods, nothing that has more than five ingredients, nothing this, nothing that. And the the non-vegans who are looking at you are like, oh, well, that sounds horrible and complicated. No, thank you. And veganism, all veganism means, and this is super important to remember, all vegan means is not consuming animal products. So that is actually so, 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 so easy in 2019. And if you're trying to invite people into a vegan lifestyle, you know, know your audience. You're not going to get the McDonald's eater interested in veganism with your green juice that's soy-free, sugar-free, oil-free, gluten-free. They don't care, but you might get them with a Beyond Burger and have them have a Beyond Burger and be like, wow, this is really good and tastes like food that I already like. So, you know, know your audience, know who you're talking to and make it seem easy. Giacomo and I really eat um, stuff that isn't that complicated and it's very recognizable to non-vegans. It just happens to be vegan versions of it. I'm not saying never have quinoa, never have something that is like outside the norm. Like we made rejuvelac the other day. We do the weird hippie thing sometimes. But when we are trying to promote our lifestyle through leading by example, we're showing people how fun and easy and inviting the lifestyle is. And I think that definitely gets more people interested and keeps people's defenses lower than they would otherwise be if they felt like you were coming at them with an air of superiority to your lifestyle in terms of like, I eat the poshest, weirdest, most exotic food. Like no one wants that. No one wants to do that. Yeah. It's almost as like, are you doing that for them or are you doing it to feel better about yourself? You know what I mean? And yeah, I mean like, don't get me wrong. I I am proud to say that the majority of foods that I eat are fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, and grains. Mm -hmm. And I have some other things thrown into the mix once in a while, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to win any... More often than not, I'm not going to win anyone over if that's all that I talk about, especially, you know, when the I would say the majority of people do enjoy like a typical pizza, burrito, burger, whatever once in a while. You know what I mean? If you can have a pizza, a pizza, burritos and burgers and have them be delicious and plant based and cruelty free and you show somebody that they're going to be way more interested than if you show somebody how you are going on a seven-day juice fast. Right. And on the flip side of things, say that you come, you you do, you know, you do bring the, the vegan burger to the table and that person's like, well, you know, I don't eat processed foods and I only eat healthy. And then, and now you have an opening because like obviously the, the majority of whole foods are plant-based. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a no brainer then. So if, if you, if you bring like your typical pizza, or whatever, and that person is not the type to indulge in a slice of pizza every month or every other month or, or every week, it's, it's even, it's even more simple. Like, okay. Yeah. So, so what you're telling me is that you already do consume a predominantly plant-based diet. Now we have something to talk about. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
But I think the stereotype is that vegans just eat sad salads by themselves mm-hmm. alone. And, like, make sure you do not exemplify that. Don't enforce that stereotype. It helps no one and it helps no animals for you to be the sad person in the corner eating raw broccoli. All right, moving on to our Q&A segment for today's episode. I'm going to pull out a question from our trusty hat over here for Danny or me or whoever wants to answer it. All right. How do you combat wanting something sweet at the end of the day? Oh, this is a perfect question for me because I do want something sweet at the end of every day. (laughs) And I can't sleep until I have had something sweet at the end of my day. Uh, So this is actually really, really simple for me is I just plan something sweet into the end of my day. And I make sure that it fits into my calorie and or macro allotment. Um, Depending on the time of year, this might be a very low calorie treat might be a higher calorie treat, might have very low sugar, but be sweetened with stevia. Uh, So at the nitty grittiest part of my contest prep, I think my sweet treat, which was my fourth meal of the day, uh, was maybe 250 calories, but I made a protein cookie out of vital wheat gluten, PB2, cocoa powder, stevia, I mean, it was really, it looked better than it actually tasted, but it was a sweet treat at the end of the day that I looked forward to every day and had it before I went to bed. Now that my calories are significantly higher, I'm having a little bowl of oatmeal with blueberries and soy yogurt. You're probably like, wait, the oatmeal and yogurt is the high calorie thing? Yeah, it is. The cookies were the low calorie thing. Uh, So you can plan all kinds of dessert type foods at all different caloric levels and just make it fit into your day. There's nothing wrong with having something sweet at night. There is no carbs after six going to make you fat monster that comes in after 6 p.m. Like that doesn't happen. So as long as you're accounting for your overall intake, you can make almost anything work. The problem a lot of people have is at the end of the day, they start eating something sweet and then they can't stop. And it turns not into a small calorie equated sweet treat, but like a mini pig out. And here I think you really just need to one pre-plan what you're going to have. So you're not trying to wing it together at the last minute of every day. If you know that you tend to overeat, I would recommend getting stuff in individual size packages. So for a while I had well, I forget the brand, but it was dark chocolate squares and they were individually wrapped and I would just have one. Um, obviously an individual wrapping would not be a huge deterrent if I was in the middle of having a binge or something, but every little bit helps. You have to actually think about opening another package. Another thing would be if there's food that is particularly triggering for you, meaning you just know yourself and you know you can't have it around, get it out of the house for a while. I think that is a great tip. Um, Towards the middle and end of my contest prep, I could not have nuts in the house because I couldn't just have one serving. Like I wanted to have them all. And it's okay to know that those trigger foods can and probably will change for you. Um, I actually have a whole YouTube series about emotional eating 
So if this is something that you feel like rings true to you, I would definitely check it out. It's on the Vegan Proteins YouTube channel. But to have something sweet at the end of the night every day is not a problem at all. All right, our next question. So we actually have all these questions in a bowl, and we're just randomly pulling them out. So you're definitely getting a, a live reading of them. Some of them are anonymous. Some of them are not. These came through Instagram, Facebook, clients. Um, okay, so this one came through Instagram. And it's just a beezy, I think. Honest reviews on CBD for bodybuilders. All right. Well, what what I can say here is... So CBD, explain what it is first. CBD. CBD is uh, a part of uh, the marijuana plant, right? And it's the, the part that's non-psychoactive. So it's, it's a cannabinoid that basically attaches to the receptors in your endocannabinoid system. Now, obviously, I don't know a ton about like the, the, the science of this all, but what I do know of the endocannabinoid system, excuse me, is that it, uh, it, it does help regulate several different things, one of which is pain. So in theory, by consuming CBD, you should be able to help manage your pain and help relax your body by stimulating your endocannabinoid, excuse me, endocannabinoid system. Now, the part of this that gets a little hairy is that uh, from, from, to my understanding, the, the, the CBD on its own is effective, but from, from my, from my uh, basic understanding of it, it can be more effective when consumed in conjunction with the THC, which is the psychoactive stuff. Now, this is where people are like, well, you know, I don't, I don't want my brain chemistry to be affected when I'm just trying to manage my pain after a workout. Like, I don't like that feeling and I get it, you know? Um, so what they, what they're doing these days is they're coming up with tincture, tinctures and other things of that nature where the ratio is so high, you know, I think it's like 18 to one, basically. I'm not sure exactly, but 18, you know, 18 to one meaning cannabis, uh, CBD to THC so that it's it, the impact of the THC is so negligible that it really doesn't do anything other than create a mild sedative effect, which is actually what we're going for here. We're looking to, to relax the muscles. And honestly, the CBD is the stuff that is largely responsible for that. So, um, I would say, you know, you can try experimenting with CBD on your own. And if it's something that is legal in your area because it's not everywhere um, and you have access to that and you feel comfortable trying it, you could also try one of those ratios that of, of THC to CBD where the THC is so low that the effect is negligible. However, it's working in conjunction with the CBD to create a, a relaxing effect for your muscles and help you, uh, you know, recover faster. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. If you have any ideas for podcast episodes you would like to hear or any questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as Vegan Proteins and at Muscles by Brussels. And we would love to hear from you. Thank you so much again for tuning in. My name is Danny, And I'm Giacomo. And we will talk to you soon. Take a